I have this image of the Muppets in a, <laughs> in a car with Fozzie Studebaker, a bear's natural habitat. That's awesome. Roman, I can almost see you. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, bear. Look, I had a bear oh. thing I just told Django about. Oh, look at that Fozzie boy. Waka, waka, waka. Waka, waka, waka. I got it. <laughs> I don't get it. And it says Studebaker, a bear's natural habitat. Oh. What the heck was that? Is there construction that was Django's, going on? <laughs> Django's uh, Steve Jobs desk. <laughs> I'm taking oh. off my, I'm taking off my shoes, boys. Yeah, that's my little guy. And by yeah. little guy, I mean my little homewrecker of a man. <laughs> acceptable podcast two 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 where we're not just bound by the limitations of our country most recently you could have seen us in belarus i don't know two two one uh now now where are we at django two 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 it's the comic podcast set in the country of africa africa Mauritania. mauritania welcome to mauritania africa I hardly even know her. There you go. I'm it's Jeff. It's a comic podcast. It's a comic podcast. <laughs> I I'm hardly Roman. know her too, and I'm Django. <laughs> and I'm Roman, and I always I always get that country confused with that that ship. The, the no, the Mauritania, the one that sank, that ship disaster. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. Mauritat was named after a boat. I didn't realize oh that gosh. the boat, the Mauritania, wasn't actually the Lusitania. I think it's pronounced Mauritania. Oh, 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 see like titania uh titan- crusher cr- crusher creel's girlfriend yeah yeah you know you guys we, you you guys get it we brought it back to comics that's how we do it we do that very well here the perfectly accessible podcast a comic podcast run a bunch of, run the podcast is run by a bunch of buddies who run a comic shop together and then we gather every week to talk about the comics we also talk about the shop that we work at the books that we read and the comings and goings of our life nailed it often butts and farts often more often than i would like butts and farts because (laughs) i have chained myself to a walking whoopee cushion of a man (laughs) like kermit the frog if kermit the frog were a whoopee cushion (laughs) your profile is as such i'm gonna get a rundown here real quick just to get everyone real excited about what's gonna be happening on the show today which is just get them horn i don't know what that means horn me neither I don't know what that means, but we're going to be talking about Batman, the detective, number one. We're going to talk about Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow, number one. We're going to talk about Lock and Key Sandman. Sandman Universe presents Lock and Key Sandman. Helen gone. Helen gone, Betty. Helen, uh, the Joker. I hardly even knew her. The Joker, <laughs> number two. Mirren? Uh, we're going to talk about Home, number one. Rorschunk, number seven. <laughs> Hortchak. Proctor Valley Road, number two. We're going to talk about some other things as well. There'll probably be 
definitively Django books, or maybe the portrait of everything, the picture of everything, number three. Maybe we'll hear about that. Who knows? Maybe Batman Scooby Doo, if anybody read it. Oh, I meant to read that. I did too, actually, and haven't yet. Just because we haven't read it yet doesn't mean that we haven't read it or won't. It's true. It does, it does mean that we haven't read it, actually. But uh, but the yet is an integral word there. I think we need to talk, Roman, just for a second here to Django about Martha Falcon Washington? Winter Soldier. J- Roman, you watched this new <laughs> Falcon Winter Soldier episode, right? Damn it. No, I haven't. Oh, well, never mind. I guess we will not do that. And all of our listeners just got really excited and really disappointed. I, c- I could step out of the room for a minute. I always would forget. Be the point? I always forget that it's on. It premieres. You know, it's airs Friday night. You guys should, should talk s- about it, Jeff. You guys should send me a text alert when the, a new episode comes on. You know what? Um, it's Fridays and it's only one more of them. Um, is there only one more episode? That's what I heard. I thought you told me that last night. No, I didn't t- talk to you <laughs> last night. Who the fuck said it was a penultimate episode? Oh, maybe it was Will. Will, is this the penultimate? Hey, can we phone a friend? Yeah, you want me to call Will? Yeah. All right. We're going to call Mr. Elmer right now. Can you hear that okay? Oh, yeah, I got it. Thanks. Jello. Hey, Will, it's Django from hey, the Perfectly Jango. Acceptable Podcast. Hey, Hello, Will. Django from the Perfectly Acceptable hi. Podcast. How hi. may I service you this evening? Hi, hi Will. Uh, Jeff is Jeff is saying hi, Will, but I, I think he, as, as much of an audio guy as he is, he, I don't know that he knows that you can't hear him because he's in my head and you're, oh, and shit. Roman's waving. Um, we've, we'll we've, send them my regards. We've hardly even started drinking yet. He can hear you, though, so be careful what you say. I um, we I were just talking about Winter Soldier and Falcon, or Falcon and Winter Soldier, whatever that show is. Yeah, yeah. You and I were talking last night about it, I think. And and did you tell me that it's the penultimate episode was this week? That is my understanding, unless they've got something up their sleeve. But yeah, this is the penultimate episode this week, and next week should be the last one. Or the ultimate episode. Depends on how good it is. An (laughs) ultimate. Oh, okay. Uh, Do you guys have anything else for Will? No, that was just the main thing I had. I wanted to confirm okay. second to last episode and just sort of how many episodes were in is this. Django talk, is, are you, is Django talking about how much he hated it? Is that what's happening? I, yeah. I'm not yet, uh, but it might happen. <laughs> it might happen. Uh, we got to see if Roman will put his, his earmuffs on so he doesn't get any spoilers because he forgot that Friday is Falcon Day. <laughs> it's easy, Roman. Friday, Falcon. Friday, Friday Falcon. Falcon. Thanks, <laughs> Will. <laughs> All right, Will. Well, thanks for answering your phone. And uh, hey, we're going to need you to sign like a stack of releases in order to broadcast this. <laughs> um, well, I think you probably have some back releases for me for, I don't know, at least That's one true. or two Batman ones. And uh, yeah. I don't know, a bunch of voice memos. So yeah. just, just just fax them over. I'll, I'll, fax them I'll over. sign them. Yeah. And then I'll have a I'll have a Falcon Affidavit. come and pick him up and fly him back over to you. Okay, yeah, I'll have I'll have headquarters do that, and uh, we're gonna pull everything in the meantime until we get these. Runs. Yeah, just all the whole podcast Wonderful. come down. <laughs> all right, thanks, Will. You guys have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> all right, so it sounds like it's the Penthouse Ultimate episode here, voted by Penthouse as the greatest episode of the series. However, they do love second to last episodes. That's kind of yeah. been Penthouse's sort of. Um, arrive early to the party style if you know what i mean mm-hmm. yep yep it's the it's the sexiest episode hey time to talk about batman the detective number one by tom taylor andy kubert and um tom taylor 
Tom Taylor. This is actually really, really exciting, Django, because Django, you got the whole Tom Taylor tattoo on your body like uh, six months ago. Well, no, sorry, six months before any of us got the Tom Taylor tattoo. You yeah, got I mean, the... the anchor was the anchor that takes up used to take up my whole chest was fading, and I figured out how to turn that the anchor into kind of a stylized T. And so the Tom Taylor just wraps all the way around my body. And it was a really nice touch to get him sitting on the anchor. Well, yeah, you know, with his arm up sitting on it. He's he's a he looks like a sailor. He looks like a sailor man. Popeye. It's a pretty good get. We love deceased. We've talked about it just a huge number of times on this year podcast. Everyone's heard it. We talk about pretty much every Tom Taylor book. We love the writer. And now he's doing a Batman book, which is, you know, probably two of the three of us favorite character. Uh, except for the shadow, which doesn't count, I guess. Well, I guess the shadow is based on Batman. So Tom Taylor on Batman. <laughs> Guys, what did you think about this? Django, Tom Taylor, the fan, Batman, the fan. I thought it was really good. Um, I love the art. I love the way that some of these characters look like they're straight out of the Dark Knight Returns. And I like the I like the conceit, which spoiler alert, we're going to spoil some comics. We're going to spoil the piss out of them. Um, the, the conceit is that somebody is going around dressed as all white costumed Batmans and arranging it so that they can kill people that Batman has saved. And I thought that was a really cool way to make it super personal for Batman. Yeah. It, and that was sort of the final page reveal. We have these like white, bad Batman out there killing all these people. And at the end, Batman puts together that the like all of these people are on this list. And what list? It's the list of people that he's saved. So mm-hmm. this idea of these people going around and erasing all of the good that Batman has done yeah. is, I think, a really cool idea. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. And the cover's awesome, too. I, I And I, you know, I don't... The first thing I will say when Andy Cooper's name come up comes up is that I like his brother more and his art is great in this. I like I, you know, I generally do like Adam's art more, but this it fits Batman really well. It reminds me of the early Morrison Batman stuff. It does mm-hmm. have like a Dark Knight Returns, but also reminds me a lot of Eduardo Rousseau, just in yep. terms of like the really thin line. Um, and Rousseau has probably got a, you know, a, a Frank Miller honk in him. So and, and also sense. like it, you know it's Rousseau when someone's in a hospital and they have Venetian blinds in the hospital. That I don't think it's there's true. been a hospital like that since 1951 because that's the dumbest decision a hospital could make. But, well, they banned them except for in Gotham. You know what also Andy does is he fucking Gotham looks like the video game Bloodborne. It's like the most gothic architecture ever. Like Gotham, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember if it's that final page or not, but there's just this shot of these... It's not the final page. There's, There's a shot where, of where Bruce is walking out of the manor. Yeah, and it's just like Gotham behind it is this horrible apocalyptic. Yeah, hell, hell vision. It's the title page issue in there. Uh, Roman, what do you think? Uh, you've been reading every Batman number one since the DOT. Uh, jaded? Did you like it? Where yet? I I did end up liking it. I was worried the first couple pages because I there was some stuff I really didn't like then, but things picked up after that i was a little worried because i was like i was i was like you know another like old bruce wayne old batman story i don't know if i care but is he old in this one well he's older you know he's he's like oh when you first see him in the cave he's got all these scars and it's tougher for him to move so he's like halfway to dark knight returns batman (laughs) yeah there were even a few almost direct dark knight returns quotes in here about feeling old and and not as good at things 
I didn't pick up on that at all. Good catch then, boys. I, I thought the like Alfred's gone thing kind of firmly dated it right to right now. Though, though I'm thinking about it, Jeff, what you said, I, it can't be too far in the future because, you know, Burl is the knight and that's a fairly recent happening. Um, and she's got a squire and they don't look much older than she is last time we saw her. Oh, what yeah. is time? I got no problem just processing as an uh, Elseworlds. His, his art is uh you know it most clearly makes me think of dark knight three master race so like it mm-hmm. all it feels uh very uh old man batman future the very last panel is the same body language that he has after he shoots the dude in dark knight returns and says i believe you um which is one of the few things that came from the comic into the Zack snyder movie mm. yeah this this has a lot of a lot of Miller to thank. But I also think that you can not like Miller or not have read Miller and still think this is pretty phenomenal because it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a, it, it's not like, Hey, this is just sort of a masturbatorial thing towards the history of comics. It's just a pretty great stands on its own. I think the writing is phenomenal. I really liked the art. Um, and no surprise, like Tom Taylor can write a fantastic story mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Cause he's fucking Tom Taylor. God. Yeah. I really liked his version of, gentleman ghost mm-hmm. that, was my, that was my favorite thing in the issue i loved when when uh burl asks him if he impressed her her yeah. squire and he's like i punched a ghost yeah <laughs> <laughs> and his smile there is just like oh yeah she gets it <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a good example of what you can do with this sort of omniverse thing right now, especially when the Batman universe is a very unified, tight, like Bruce is broke and, you know, he can't do these things and these things. Like, this is a good instance of, because like in the Joker issue that we'll talk about here, you know, he's like, I don't have as many resources as I used to, Jim. And here he's like, fuck it, I'm halo jumping or whatever I got to do to get from an airplane to a desert island. And yeah. 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 And that being broke thing, it, I mean, Iron Man's been broke. Oh, Queen's been broke. Times. They've all been yeah. broke. They'll yeah. they'll regain it in a couple months. Oh, yeah, I mean, I found my Bitcoin drop. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> my Batcoin. Uh, get me a Batmobile. Yeah, Batcoins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's got to be a, a world where that's a story. Yeah, I'm excited to read the rest of this one. I'll definitely, definitely be keeping up with it. I would give it a pretty dang high score. I read it was, you know, I read this and Spider Man Shadows like my first books of the week and really liked both of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Okay, Django. We were talking about it. I'm going no point fives and no sevens. So my only scores are one through sixes, eight, nine, and ten. That's just what I'm doing. No pressure. But that's what I'm doing. Why no sevens? Because everything's a fucking seven. It's pretty easy to (laughs) land on a seven. It's like the dividing point between thing that's fine and thing that's very good. It's safe. Okay, so the thing I'll do is. Today's episode, everything's going to be a seven from me. Okay, nice. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I'm, I'm going to do best comic ever or worst comic ever. I'm just going to steal that straight from the Weekly <laughs> yeah, Planet yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah, it's either top half or bottom half, you know? Yeah. One or two, yeah. if you will. So, Andrew, you're welcome. <laughs> I will give this one 7.5. No, just kidding. Best comic. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go nine. Take it. Nice. Nine. Wow. Nice. I'm gonna give it a best comic ever. Roman? The seven. Nice. <laughs> Beater Shern. All right. The next issue we're gonna talk about. Spider-Man 
Spider Shadow, Chip Zdarsky, Pasquale Ferry, Matt Hollingsworth. Similar I... red on the cover. That's true. Yeah, a lot yeah. of red and black this week. I know Django was disappointed because the shadow doesn't show up at all in this. <laughs> <laughs> this is Spider-Man's shadow. This is him being angry at a different character that stole his act. Um, so this, uh, you know, is just an alternate take on one of my favorite moments of all of Spider-Man history, all of Spider-Man continuity. Um, I love it endlessly. And uh, yeah, that's spoilers. I love the art and I love the writing. Django, <laughs> tell me what you didn't like about it. Beer the shirt. Art, the art and the writing. Really? Yeah. What's beer shirt? It's German. It's Roman. German. Get some culture. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, this takes place right after Spider-Man 258, right? Mm -hmm. Which which actually Braden and I Braden found a copy and we put it up on the website and I found a copy because we we're like somebody's going to need to read this. Oh, yeah. And and Braden said he read it before he read this issue and it it enhanced it, but it it's like after. Peter has like 258 is when I think he starts realizing that the, the costume is a symbiote um, and he, he has to get rid of it. And so this is what if instead of getting rid of it, he decides to keep it. The art didn't do much for me. I thought, I thought a lot of the faces were either dull or bad. Um, it all, it all just looked a little rushed to me. There, there's nothing in the art that stood out as great. Uh, and the the story was fine, but I, di I didn't. And maybe I just went in with super high expectations because you had said how much you loved it and it didn't live up to those for me. Yeah, I, specifically, I, I I liked it, but I also was like it. It made me feel bad mm -hmm. in the way that sp sort of Spider-Man life story made me feel bad, which is I. You know, like Peter is one of those like ultimate you identify with characters and to see him consciously making like bad decisions or decisions that are like, I mean, I don't know. It's also a pretty clear drug veiled metaphor, like an addiction mm -hmm. metaphor in here. Um, yeah, well, I welcome to Venom. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just Good love figure. I love this moment. I think it's like this is sort of my favorite era of Spider-Man. Uh, this reminded me a lot of Spider-Man, the animated series. I stand by really liking the art. Um, it reminds me a lot of Phil Noto. I do think that there is, I think it starts a little bit rough, but it gets into a, um, it gets into a style that I really like. It's like a uh, quick Phil Noto, but I, I also, I think the quick line uh, totally stands. It's got Hobgoblin, like good Hobgoblin. I, I just, this is like a great episode of Spider-Man, the animated series from the nineties. If you, if you were into Spider-Man, the animated series. Well, it's like a bunch of Spider-Man issues kind of, like timeline mashed up quite a bit, right? Like that. I don't think he finds out who this hobgoblin is for another 12 issues or something. In the, yeah, in but the there's for sure. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, since it's a, what if I don't think they're trying to like issue by issue time wise no. go at no. all. But I think that even throwing the hobgoblin reference in there to kind of be with that time, um, was a good touch just for that time. Cause it made me think about all those covers. Roman, what'd you think, baby? I agree with Django about the art. Mm. But um, <clears throat> mostly I like the idea. I love the idea that what ifs there are going to be like, you know, a few issues, four issues long to ex really explore the concept. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I like this idea because I, I, I have a weird, I enjoy seeing Peter Parker like making bad decisions and being so like anti-Peter Parker and having the excuse of 
the suit influencing him because I, I always loved that idea that the suit was taking him out at night and yeah adventuring him while he was asleep and he didn't know why for a long time and growing him a five o'clock shadow every day yeah. yeah yeah and the fact that you know he didn't figure it out reed richards told him no this thing's alive you should get rid of it yeah um this is cool story-wise i, I really liked it I... I also trust chip zadarsky oh god yeah, yeah. so there's no way this is the last issue of this book that I'm going to read. Yeah. I, he, I will read any black Spider-Man costume there is. Is he still dating Mary Jane at this point? Well, that's the other thing, right? Is he, he sounds like he's with Mary Jane and cheating on her with Felicia Hardy. Roman is the Spider-Man historian. Is that accurate? I couldn't read that. He was still friends with Mary Jane at least, but yeah, fooling around with, with Felicia Hardy. Though it was interesting because Felicia didn't like she was turned on by Spider-Man. She didn't care about Peter Parker, so she used to like, Ugh. even if you took off the mask, she'd be like, no, put the mask back on. Oh, Felicia. <laughs> I, I like Spider. <laughs> well, she's so, really going to like this guy. Yeah. yeah. Five o'clock Shadow Parker. Oh, I Five o'clock Spider. Yeah, I'm going to go nine on this one, boys. Django? Worst comic ever. Roman? <laughs> um, I'm going to go seven. Nice. Okay, everybody. We should probably get over to the old sandman corner i think this is a sandman corner and this is a fat old sandman corner this is like a 48 page comic probably woofers yeah Gosh. but it's a 48 page lock and key comic which i will take any day of the week is it um, is the rodriguez on art oh yeah nice. yeah i don't think they've ever had a different artist for for this series that's so cool um it follows so I've read all of the lock and key as it came out at like after, after the first three volumes, I, I read it as it came out. And I think all of these characters that are in the, in the lock and key universe are from some of those older stories. I couldn't tell you to save my life exactly what their relationships are, but I think that it's, it's set in like 1927 and I'm pretty sure that the lady in there is married to maybe one of the first key makers. Or maybe her dad is one of the first key makers and her dad is also the guy that dropped the kid off behind the moon when he was sick so like the kid was sick and dying and in the number zero the dad drop brings the kid up using the, the magic of the keys and leaves him on the moon with his um ancestors so that he doesn't have to die he can live in the moon and she wants to talk to sandman who she's heard is trapped by Burgess in, in the basement. And that's kind of where the Sandman story starts in, in the first issue. And so this kind of gives us a glimpse into just how gross Burgess is, which was nice because uh, in the Sandman series, we couldn't really, it was, it was early vertigo days. They couldn't really go down that disgusting rabbit hole. Um, and, and then she ends up kind of coasting through the um the dreaming and it's affected by her connection to keys so Kane and Abel are fucking with each other with keys and I I I thought this was really good I've always been intrigued by Sandman's helmet but you never really got to see art this good depicting Sandman's helmet <laughs> what did you think so far Roman you, you haven't read the whole thing yet right no I'm only about eight pages in but I'm loving it so far. And yeah, I'm looking at my copy of Preludes and Nocturnes and there's some panels like when she, 
when the kid Alex brings her in and she meets Broderick Burgess, they're in the same positions as in that first issue of Sandman in front of that, that window nice. and, and, you know, just some different characters, but all in the same position. So Alex is actually in Preludes and Nocturne, and, but he's, he's standing in the background and, and his head and shoulders are obscured by a close-up of Burgess. Oh, nice. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool how some of the panels are, are mirroring the Sandman issue. Yeah. And that like, I think Sandman is a classic that I should probably read again. Um, I remember liking it as it came out. And whenever I look at the trade paperbacks now, the art is a little bit of a barrier because even though it's like Sam Keith and Michael Drinberg and in some of those early issues, it's, it's super late eighties. And sometimes that stuff is a little bit hard to really get drawn into. Yeah. Yeah. Though this artist on, um, Rodriguez here on Helen Don, he really captured. I mean, he really visually. There's, you're, you, this is Roderick Burgess. I mean, mm -hmm. the continuity, visual continuity is great. Well, and the the pictures of Dream in oh, there yeah. are, are so good. Like yeah. just the texture on his skin. I even looked at it and was like, is this, is this him? Because the 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 texture on dream doesn't look like anything he's done. And I guess it could be the colorist who's doing some of that heavy lifting. Um, yeah. There's one shot of him sitting in there and, and I had to really stare at the panel. Cause I was like, what is in his hand? And I realized, Oh, it's sand, but it's, I don't know if that's a computer place sand, but if there's something unreal oh, yeah, about the, it, it's like three line. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, the sand looks three dimensional more than, dream does in a way yeah yeah and i love the way that he drew the gas mask to tell her what he wanted yeah oh yeah i i was impressed and i guess when i say 48 pages it looks like about 12 of them are ads in the back but it's still a pretty big book <laughs> uh i would say best comic ever oh yeah and she's got the she gets the gemstone the ruby, the ruby gemstone that later on um dr destiny in the sandman series mm -hmm. cool that's awesome yeah. i can't i can't i can't grade it yet because i haven't finished it oh just try it try it. what would you what, what do you think you might give it oh probably a somewhere between a seven and a gooey <laughs> sounds like a seven to me i like it Django, you seven must gooey. really there was some good sandman helmet shots in that overture which was then drawn by jh williams the third that must have been gratifying i haven't read that one it's um, the only one i've read outside of the first volume of sandman but i okay never never went past that first volume and that is is that original volume sam keith yeah bizarre bizarre yeah not his store, normal style. Uh, let's talk about the Joker number two by James Tynion, <laughs> the second, the fourth. Uh, Jim's um, Tynion. Jim, Joker's Jams, imitating the shadow. Jam, Jam's Tynion the fourth. Second, second. Exactly. And then art by Guillaume March. Guillaume March com confirming that their art style can just fluctuate drastically to me. They mm -hmm. even the difference between issue one and two of this is was pretty significant in my mind. I would have to relook at one, but I, I was way less impressed with this one than number one. Yeah, I guess, I guess I didn't have panels that blew me away in this one, like, I, like I did with number one, but I, I didn't, I didn't really notice a huge difference. It is way more grotesque than Carmen. That's for sure. 
But yeah, there's just a lot of like Gordon face in here that's a little like this isn't this isn't the Guillaume March that can Guillaume march his way uh through <laughs> through the the great gates of heaven. Um T talk about this one, Django. This one, this one. I guess it's cool because maybe Bane's daughter is in it or something. A girl, yeah, like a young it's girl, cool. Bane. Yeah, it's not no, why. sorry, that's isn't why it's cool. It's, but it's isn't a, that it's a speculator book? Isn't that, that why people are up in arms about it right now? That's why they're likely to go into a second printing because yeah, it's got this first appearance, which that's fine. Like she seems like a pretty cool character. It doesn't seem super necessary to me, but the the meat of this issue is just kind of more slow boil Gordon deciding if he's, I guess, less deciding if he's going to take this job to go kill the Joker and more deciding how he's going to take the job and whether he's going to actually kill him in the end. So one thing that I thought was interesting about this issue is Gordon finally admits to Barbara that he knows that she's Batgirl and or Batgirl Oracle like he he knows and i thought that was pretty awesome yeah that was my favorite part as well um because we've seen a lot of things lately where it's kind of like sniffing around that idea i can't remember if it was in three jokers that there was almost like an overt yep. reference to maybe thinking he knew yeah 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 it was in three jokers also by jeff johns this, this is, is by not Jams. by jeff johns this is well, by but Jim. but he but he helped write it didn't he his name's on the cover yeah, his name is on the cover. It says Tinian and Johns. It does say that on my bottom credit, but nowhere on my top credits. Did, did somebody named Johns do Inking the backup something? story? Oh, oh, is that what they're talking about? I think it's Sam Johns does the backup. Oh, sorry, sorry, I missed What a I... lucky last name. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even read that because I don't care about what's Me neither, but you look at that last one. I do like the Merc Andolfa art in it, but it's like, oh man, it's a bunch of like, rejected elements from the scott snyder batman run and then at one point they walk around the torn the corner and it's snyder university and you're like yeah no shit it's snyder university <laughs> Jam. Like, that's where you graduated from yeah. uh the other thing that we learn is that the the lady who hired gordon is um in in the court of the owls and trying to get back in their good graces which i thought was kind of cool um yeah, that was kind of interesting, like a family lineage that's been turned away by the Court of Owls and she's working to have her lineage reinstated by them. And it mm -hmm. makes sense that the Court of Owls has a thing against the Joker because he's kind of just a force of chaos within the city of Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. And having, remember in the first issue, there was uh, the discussion about how Bane dying was a big deal to Santa Prisa. Yeah. Um, so here we are kind of coming back to that with Bane's daughter coming out of the Santa Prisa um, um vat the the wolverine vat and there's other people in that room wearing bane masks and hers doesn't have a mouth like like bane has the white around his mouth and hers doesn't probably so you can see that it's a lady <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought this was good i didn't read the backup story but man the um the reason this should go up in value is because gordon admitting he knows that she's Batgirl. That's the coolest part. You know, I also love the, uh, just this little, I took it as a, a, a joke by Jimmy TIV that there's this revelation of this, um, these rich cultists in Texas that are mm. um, trying to get revenge or Joker or whatever the heck they're doing. 
and they're cannibals. I took that as kind of a joke that he was doing on the play about the, you know, the Republicans that think that there's liberal cannibals. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hillary's part of and all that. Yeah. Mm. That's, that is a fun idea. Oh, wow. I that is a body tied up on their table. Yeah. There's I a torso on the table. Ooh. Love this one as much as the first one. I feel like the art is way more rushed, but that's the thing that just happens with Guillaume March. Like sometimes their art is really good. And the next issue, it's like back to this, not very, not great style. Um, sort of yeah rushed it looks all like kind of halloween stuff to me yeah i didn't like it nearly as much as the first issue i would give this one a six i liked it quite a bit i think it's the best comic ever mm. <laughs> rebel what would you give I, it man I, oh, I shouldn't have said that thing about sticking to sevens because because I, I i'll give it a seven but i want to give it a nine okay well what do you give it a seven with a nine in parentheses. Roman, that <laughs> sounds bat, like you're trying parentheses. to have your cake and eat it too. I am my human cake and eat it too. <laughs> um, gonna give it a nine. Nine, 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 nine. Nice nine. joke, dead. Um, yeah, I did. I did like. I did like like Gordon telling Barbara about that. It just. I wish it was like in 15 years. Like this won't be a thing anyone talks about or remembers. Like it's going to be like just, you know, any number of random six issue miniseries that happened where it started out good. I feel like in the kind of by the end of it, it was a nothing thing if I'm getting cynical. Um, and I just feel like that moment of that reveal is a pretty large thing and it's a cool thing. And he was even sort of like, well, I've got one card up my sleeve. And then he just does it. Like, I feel like that moment could have even like been built up. It could have had a larger emotional beat. He was just like oh, well, in this issue, we're going to give this away based on this sort of framing device narrative of like, I always right. have a card up my sleeve. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like that should have felt like one of the biggest moments. They had to squeeze in an eight-page backup. They couldn't have had Guillaume March stretch his art another page to give us yeah. that build-up. God, Let's if we could have fair. had Mirka Andolfo do some of that or just cut any number of the like pages of dialogue he wrote into this issue. I, I don't usually like those from him but I actually liked him in this. Very exciting. I did read Home this week, issue number one from Image Comics. Julio Anta wrote this. I wasn't exactly sure what this was when I was starting it. I remember ordering it, and after what happens at the end of this, I remembered the solicitation and sort of the ordering of it. But as I was reading it at first, it felt sort of like an auto-bio or a bio-comic about trying to make the trek over the southern american border into america as an immigrant um mm -hmm. and going through the hellish conditions that were brought on about that especially by that guy trump um and it then sort of what we learn as this goes on is it's actually about sort of how a, a superhero is going to be born from that circumstance but it really was like a very poignant first issue that just felt sort of like um well roman i actually hadn't read that uh they know us as enemy or that book i can't remember exactly what yeah, it was, but they called us enemy yeah they called us enemy um but it felt a little bit like oh maybe we're getting like an, a serialized issue version of a type of story similar to that and i think i'm relieved that it is not entirely going to be that because the like amount that I was bummed out reading this and like totally appropriately and well-written why I was like, Oh, I don't know. Like, is there hope in this? And then it's kind of the afterward at the end is writing about how there's a significant amount of hope in things. But anyway, I, yeah, I'm curious what you guys thought about this one. I was, 
I was quite fond of it. I liked it a lot too. Um, it initially it felt a little bit heavy handed and like kind of kind of like what you see is what you get. This is this is a comic with sort of a, a mission to to tell you how bad it is to be somebody trying to get through the American border and getting stuck, you know, in in cages and separated from your kid. And that's an important thing, but not. Um, there did there just didn't seem like a lot of subtlety to it and by the end i i like the turn i like the idea of the kid having some powers um and like i don't think i would have been on board for four to six issues of you know depressing america modern american concentration camp stuff that's right that's more than i can handle uh and it's not going to empower me to do anything extra about it um, but i do think it's pretty fucking important to oh yeah let people know about that and yeah. even just like as the, as this was beginning and they're like the way that they were aggressively treating like criminal criminals for showing up not remembering the exact context of this story like thinking that like i mean i don't really know how much of that is strictly true to experience or is a mm -hmm. fictionalization of this being a comic ultimately about a hero but uh yeah, it didn't have subtlety, but it also felt like the kind of thing that shouldn't have subtlety and is more important that like, oh, I think it's pretty fucking important that people know about this because yeah. I don't think even in reading the headlines about it, the brutality and the absolute like heartbreaking nature of that is a thing that many, many Americans got. Well, it's so foreign to us to be in that situation. Like right. it, it's hard to hard to read a headline like that and put yourself in, in their shoes because like we half of America can't even, doesn't even believe that we're doing it. You know, mm -hmm. what about you, Roman? Yeah. Which is one of the reasons stories like this are so important. I was, I was trying to remember, but I could have looked it up. I didn't take the time who the attorney general was the first attorney general under Trump, who would they quote at the beginning of this issue? Um, shitbag, shitbag. But, but yeah, but even, but even, Having been paying attention, then it was still shocking to read those words. I I liked I liked the issue. I mean, I was actually I didn't read the solicitation, so I was actually disappointed, kind of, at the end when it was like, oh, this is going to be a story involving superpowers because I actually was bracing myself and ready for just a, a realistic story about being an illegal Im immigrant during Trump's reign of terror. Um, so I was actually, oh, this is going to be a superhero or some kind of superpower as well. I didn't really need that, but I'm going to keep on reading it because I'm curious what this kid does with this trauma and these powers. I th I totally agree. I My relief was that I think it would be really fucking hard to read a monthly story about that. I think it would if it weren't the superhero element. I think that type of thing is way easier for me to take in like a, an original graphic novel that you kind of sit down and read all in a sitting, like kind of pacing that pain out over month to month would be. I I could just see me being like, oh, I want to read this, but I don't know. I'm gonna put this at the bottom of the stack until I feel right to read this one. Whereas you know, like a like a kind of graphic novel thing for me personally, I think works better for that type of story. Kind of like how I kept shuffling uh, Life of Spider-Man or Spider-Man Life Story down my stack every week, even though I knew I wanted to read it. But I do think that home, like, 
I would be more interested in the non superhero story that that I thought I was getting. I was just like a little a little bit feeling of like the ticking up of a roller coaster being like, OK, uh -huh, yeah. like this is going to be oh, tough. Oh, yeah, I, think I get I get that because I was assuming this is a mini series. I don't know, but I did. I, I wouldn't have read this as soon as I did, except then I started to think, well, if I get a text from you know somebody at the shop that somebody needs this issue, I want to have it read, ready to go if they need it. So I read it sooner than I would have normally. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, we're going to follow the kid as he goes and has adventures in America trying to get back and save his mom and also his unpowered mom having a shitty time in the in the jail? Or do you think that we're going to follow the kid and then, you know, go back to save the mom and see if she's around? I think, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. I think like if I think the superhero element of this story, which adds this sort of fictional gravitas, to all of it, I feel like maybe that could be more of a thing. I kind of was prepared as he's separated from her. It's still not clear in my mind that it was a superhero thing. So I kind of was ready to just never see her again. <laughs> um, but I, I was I really kind of bracing myself for a very empathetic, painful experience, which is how I would read these things. And and I like those things, but they're very hard for me to take a month apart in small dosages. I need that thing on as purpose. like a, on a <laughs> bullet. Like I, I would read it on purpose, but for me, it, it's kind of like grave of the fireflies is a movie that's amazing but like or like even day tripper at this point in my life mm -hmm. i don't want to read day tripper a month apart per issue like it's a very I, the mm -hmm. i don't know there, there's just a there's a level of feeling that's going to be going on there it's that called I'm, I'm, binge catharsis yeah yeah i mean roman <laughs> i guess i'm curious on your thoughts on that because you've <clears throat> you you've read more stuff like that than anybody would that is that nature of that story coming out all in one or issues if they called us enemy or, or something came out in issues would that affect you at all in a different way as a graphic novel or issue or yeah i probably i think so um since since i've only read it in the form that's available I, i'm trying to imagine i i feel like it would have less of an impact if you had to if i had to wait you know a month between issues or I'd have to go back and reread the previous issue each time before I read the next issue. So I'd be constantly rereading it. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's the best comic ever. Nice. Roman? I also think it's cool that, at least as far as I know, judging by the names, the creators on here, it's, it looks like it's almost all people of color. That's pretty cool. Um, I would give it an eight. Nice. Nice. Okay, we got to talk about a book that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about um, because I was very excited to talk to people about it after reading it because Jules Verne's The Lighthouse. Jules Verne's The Lighthouse by <laughs> Haberlein. Um, no, we're going to talk about Rorschach number seven, Tom King, Jorge Fornes, Dave Stewart. This issue of this series, and I've already gotten my juices out and talked to Django a little bit about it, but this issue really kind of confused me. I mean, I guess this issue and the previous issue really kind of take this book in a different nature for me. It's not a linear story as much that I feel like I'm getting, you know, like even I guess most of his books, I, I kind of start to think Tom King's are like a linear story where I'm like the beginning, middle and end. And I'm excited to know what's going on at the end. But most of them are more of a meditation. Like each issue gives you a different thing to sort of think about within some ideological parameters and 
this issue and the previous issue of the series have done that very much. Even in just sort of talking to Django about it, I think we both kind of came up with a couple new ideas about the previous issues. You know, I just, I don't think that they're necessarily to be immediately understood. I think they're more to be puzzled over. But anyway, this one does some interesting things. Roman, how did you like seeing Frank fucking Miller in this comic? (laughs) (laughs) That was a blast. I was totally wondering, wow, so... I mean, Tom King had to get a hold of Frank Miller to do this story, right? And get his permission to use his likeness and his name and uh, maybe sound his voice, <laughs> possibly. They've name dropped him in previous yeah. issues, too. Yeah. Like yeah. two or three times. So I'm surprised that Frank Miller agreed to all that because I thought he was kind of grumpy. I don't think he is so grumpy. I Django and I both watched an interview with him from Robert Kirkman interviewing him from like two weeks ago. And it was just nice to watch a 20 minute conversation with that dude who didn't actually seem nearly as grumpy as I've always imagined him to be. Oh, or as shitty. Yeah, he was just like self-deprecating, aware of his hubris of his youth, hmm. um, learned a lot from it, apologized for the things that he's done since then. And I just think is, yeah, I was pretty stunned to see who Frank Miller is in a 20 minute interview nowadays uh, versus what I've always imagined him to be, which is yeah, a shitty extremist. Wow. That that's really cool. And I, and I guess, yeah, you saying that I need to watch an interview, but also made me realize that, yeah, my, and my view of Frank Miller is definitely like mid nineties, Frank Miller. And I think Mm -hmm. he was walking with some pants that were pretty tight in the crotch at that point. Yeah. And he also had some kind of, I think physical maladies going on, which of course can, puts you in a bad state of state of mind yeah I, I liked how this kind of focuses quite a bit on a question that I, I'm sure Andrew could tell us Andrew podcast historian friend of the show yeah could tell us the the first time I started ranting about what would comic books be like if we actually had superheroes not even really necessarily always remembering that Watchmen told us that if we had superheroes comic books would be pirates um, Maybe that's this, why you love that question is because you love Watchmen so much. Yeah, on, on some level, I, I didn't think of it at the time, but the, you know, this this focuses on how Frank Miller wrote a Dark Fife comic about a pirate instead of Batman, and it's it's a direct kind of allegory between the two. Um, I mean, barely even an allegory; they just basically swapped knight and fife. Uh, but I, I, I liked how this is this is really delving into sort of the fallout of what it's like to have superheroes in your world rather than rather than just having them be totally fictional. Yeah, I feel like if this is about something, that's probably the closest thing that it is to being about, right? It's like I think maybe this when we get to the anyway. yeah, I guess when we get to the end of it, it might be about something else. But I think the last couple issues, yeah, Roman, in talking the other day when I got incredibly fucking sunburnt talking to Django for like four and a half hours out in the sun in his yard, we were talking about this yard, this book in the yard, and it made me think about a question that you had posed, which was like when we were in that strongman issue, and the strongman was like coloring the pirate, and as it was going on, he was coloring it in primary colors like a superhero. But then by the time we got to the end of it, when we looked at what he had actually colored, it was more like purples and yellows and greens. And in talking to Django, we were like, oh, like what if 
what if like that's kind of a statement on like so superheroes don't exist in this world like Django just said it's pirates that they have right so Frank Miller wrote like a dark pirate story instead of a light pirate story which is what these pirates were and then this conversation about what well, do you write a light and, and that's kind of all a meta commentary on his Batman story but that strong man who thought he was doing a good guy thing and was doing a bad guy thing by killing these people was coloring this pirate in superhero colors but when we saw it it was actually in what are traditionally villain colors when you look at like a color scheme of superheroes are like red blue and yellow but villains are usually like purple and green and yellow um and it's just this interesting idea of him coloring that person that pirate the way that a villain would be colored rather than a hero being colored when in reality what he was dealing with was doing a villainous act while considering it a heroic act but then not having an understanding of like superhero tights for the way that like superheroes are exist or colored um in our world it was i just thought it was a really really interesting idea i think that there is like what fills the whole of superheroes in a world where superheroes exist so therefore that whole like there's not they don't fill this hole because they're a real thing they don't fill this fictional ideological thing yeah and i think i mean that that may be kind of what it's about um there's something here that miller says toward the end of this issue when he's talking to the detective in i assume current time but he's he but he's wearing a rorschach outfit and miller says that uh back then i turned something just childish into something worthwhile so he's talking about his pirate character but you can extend that to superheroes and how in their watchmen world you know all the superheroes are corrupt or crap or or you know psychopaths like the comedian um so you could extend that turning the idea of superheroes being childish it's a childish idea that's been corrupted in their real lives so you could still turn it into something worthwhile on the page yeah it's it's you know i this one this issue just sort of added more content to the discussion rather than clarity to the story if that mm -hmm. makes sense so I, I thought it was really cool to see the Jorge Fornes art of just the two pages of Dr. Manhattan that like that kind of took me in a just a very different place to what this comic has put me before right like we've been getting kind of this almost Watchmen without the Watchmen aspect of this story and, and then to just kind of get two thirds of a nine panel grid page to be Dr. Manhattan was sort of like whoa right yeah yeah and I love the idea of Miller going crazy in this way in this world. Like, I think that he, I think he lost his mind for a little while in, in real life and went way off the rails. And in this, instead of, instead of being kind of like xenophobic, racist, weirdo, he's believing this crazy conspiracy theory that almost seems like a virus. You know, like the kid had it and the, the other Will Meyerson studied it and studied it and studied it until maybe the kid infected him and, and gave him this. Yeah, I mean, idea. ideas act like bacteria and act yeah. like viruses. They spread in such a similar way. So I, I think that's actually interesting because even like the strong man kind of contracted that belief from mm -hmm. the from girl. The kid. We would be remiss if we did not talk about the scene that zooms in from the page of the pirate cover. Um, it is six panels. It is this page. Mm -hmm. And what is cool about it is it does that thing where it uses nice advanced coloring to show color dots. Mm -hmm. But 
at the closest point to the eyeball where it shows the line between white and black, it shows like mismatched all of the different colors for just the rim around the black showing that they're about to make black, which is the bridge between white and black is that they need to start putting all of the colors in there. So Mm -hmm. it's, there's this amazing bit of advanced art to show the fallacy of the limited production methods of original printing. That's pretty cool. Um, Going back to your viral thing. I really like the fact too, in the, uh, with the sound effects, the lettering, whenever they play back one of these tapes that they got the creators believe or that there's some kind of messages in these tapes when you play it, play it back um, with just the white noise. I love the fact that the way they wrote it, were you guys also like kind of reading those and trying to think, can you make some kind of word out of there? And then I realized, wow, that's exactly what Meyerson was doing for decades, listening to this thing, trying to, <laughs> trying to see if it actually said anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give this issue a nine. It feels weird because it didn't give me, it didn't give me a lot, but it also gave me a lot. Uh, I don't know. I think this is the best comic ever and maybe the best, best comic ever this week, which according to Roman's old rules would give it a gooey duck, but I can't commit to that because I've committed to the best or worst. This is a Comics Place podcast that doesn't believe in gooey ducks. I would give this issue a 777. I read nonstop Spider-Man. I think, but but cello's art is really good it's also a little hard to track and joe kelly's writing is a little hard to track um and i liked i liked some of the concepts in here i think i like the first issue a little bit more um and you know maybe if i was uh, a little more uh patient or a little more uh add or younger or something i would have liked this more um, but I'm gonna have to say it's the worst comic ever. I I love the Zemo reveal at the end. I did read the end of it, the Zemo stuff, and Zemo drawn by Bachalo is awesome. What else did you read, Django? You got you got you got time. Oh, I don't know. I, I read the I like the Chip Zdarsky story in Batman Urban Legends. Best best story ever. Is that the um, Red Hood one? Yeah. Roman, that yeah. one's you've you've been talking about being horky yeah. that one. That yeah, so I like I like that one a lot too. That's the only one I read from that issue. Yeah, I didn't read anything else in there either. Um yet. Yeah yet let's emphasize yet yeah 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 we've we've all um, got st- stacks that we haven't gotten into yet challenge of the super sons and i finished sweet tooth um <laughs> how would did that make you f- understand why it exists anymore i think it got optioned and they told him we'll we'll let you do it again uh it's it's set so far in the future the characters only look like the old characters there's probably some sort of like psychic connection to the you know gus and and the old man from the original series. They did just solicit a compendium. I wonder if they were like, hey, Jeff, we got to, you know, like we're like eight issues shy from a full compendium. Can you just do something? Is this in make... there? I, I believe it is in this, this YouTube oh, compendium. Man. This, I think I would like this a lot more if it hadn't been a Sweet Tooth sequel. Like a couple of little tiny tweaks and it would have been a really good Jeff Lemire story that wasn't tied to Sweet Tooth. That's all I got. Roman, what do you got? I'm surprised, Jane. I thought you were going to do uh, Phantom of the Scanner. Are we doing that as a group? Uh, do you guys want to do it as a real quick group? I read Phantom of, uh, Phantom of the Scan this week because I try to read Aftershock books because I'm tired of Django always looking like the way fucking cooler member of our comic shop. Also, let's be real. You're a bun boy. 
we're all bun boys buddy um this uh, mark torres on art it was interesting to see this was good art this was i think I, this was if you had to divide aftershock artists to worst artists ever or best artists ever this would be in the best <laughs> artists ever category um definitely borrowing from that sean gordon murphy style of like dipping your thumb in ink and throwing it onto the page but they're doing a thing where i think that they like dip their thumb in ink and put it onto a scanner and scanned yeah. it and then now they're using <laughs> that as a texture that they're blowing up and minimizing which is interesting actually phantom of a scanner darkly and i thought it was cool that we got another comic book that stars keanu reeves yeah this was clearly a keanu reeves drawing yeah um the art was my favorite part of the whole thing the story's yeah. fine um you know uh, it's it's colin bunn rarely surprises me other than that I generally will finish his books and probably read the next one if it's not a big week. Roman, did, how did you feel on the scan? Um, I really like the way the dead little boy is portrayed. Yeah, you do. Yeah, story of my fucking life. And other than that, I didn't really care about the rest of it. It's, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay. Adults. Yeah, I was like, okay, it's another horror story government experimentation brings four people together they got to find out oh there's a horror monster at the end big deal and i found that joke oh i found the joke about um the aftershock joke it's actually in the back matter stuff with all the classified pages there's uh some subliminal messaging in children's television and children's dream material picture books and comic books in parentheses project aftershock Mm, i know it was in here somewhere i'll tell you what I do think that the introductory sequence on this works really well. Yeah. I think it's a really effective get you hooked quickly to a comic. Um, it's a couple pages with horizontal vertical panels and then ver- yeah, like horizontal panels the first and then vertical. But like it's just enough information and it's sparse enough with these different populations that it makes you interested in it. And uh, yeah, I think the art was nice and it's it just the the setup i think was the best thing the first like five or six pages i thought dang way to go colin bun i think you're getting better at your craft i think it would have benefited from being a uh, two issues in one i'll bet that mm-hmm. between this and the second issue we've got a lot more interesting meat to chew on if you know what i mean yeah dead meat roman seven i'll go to six. Oh, dirty <laughs> Hey, Roman, before we get out of here, I want to talk to you briefly about Proctor Valley Road, because ironically, I thought I probably wouldn't read any more of this, Um, but I did read issue number two, and I am curious what you thought about issue number two. This is a Grant Morrison book, but he's co-writing it with someone else. Anytime Grant Morrison has co-written something with somebody else, I just don't detect any Grant Morrison in it. And this issue, uh, I didn't detect any Grant Morrison in it, but I did like it more than the first issue curious what you thought i did too and i like the first issue but yeah i like this one even more um i'd forgotten grant morrison's name was associated with it yeah because because a lot of times i don't i don't read the credits on a book um but now remembering that you reminded me of that i think some of the dialogue and some of the weird ideas like the the they're not tattoos the English letter markings they all end up with in this one strike me as Morrison-esque. But yeah, I really liked this issue, the dialogue. I love the um, the out loud narration that our main character, the main girl, that she gives herself while she's off on her investigation. I really dug that. At first, 
I didn't love the writing of these characters and Django had pointed out like kind of really, really digging just hanging out with these kids. And I think the difference between this first issue and second issue is that I think that the first issue like did a lot of work to sort of typify the care, the overall sort of generic character of each of these kids. Um, a lot of sort of like non expositional expositional work basically. And this one, I feel like did that, but just a, in a smoother, less obvious way to me. Like, I think we spent time with each of these characters, but it didn't sort of feel as much like you're trying out for a Woodlands Theater children play and you're standing there. I'm Jeff Figley and I like theater and band. And that was a kind of what the first issue felt like a very much sort of like everyone's dialogue dialed in their personality to a T. And while I think this one did that as well, um, it just it was a little less forced. Each character had some time alone. I think maybe that helped them like the scene yeah. of uh, Riley Walters, like marrying somebody who I still can't figure out exactly who she was trying to marry. I'm sure we've seen them. Um, but yeah, uh, the characters were all a lot more likable in this issue for me. And I think that it was just that we spent time with all of them alone. Um, I don't feel like the overall story that they're telling is like a super innovative one here so far, but the way that when she got scratched and there was like um, maggots in her arm in that one panel, like mm -hmm. grossed me out supremely. And I thought that was a really well done scene because it never even zoomed in just like one of the panels on that page had maggots in it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And just a lot of really good details in here. And I think you're right that the fact that we got to see each of the girls on their own, like in their home environment or whatever, that really helped really flesh out their characters in a, in a pretty realistic way. Um, and they're all, and they're all such smart together girls, but they seem really, I mean, they, but they've each got like, um, like Riley, for instance, you know, has her, her self-doubt and body issues she's dealing with and that kind of stuff. So they're not just cookie cutter characters. We did a book club discussion recently and Andrew sort of talked about this distinction that he talks about with Will as well, where like Andrew loves characters or you know, plot stuff, but Will likes character stuff. And, you know, that's I've, I've thought about that conversation since then. Um, I think that I fall generally more on being interested in like plot stuff than character stuff, even though character stuff is really important. But I, I, I would above all else, I want a story that feels like it's unpredictable and going in a direction I haven't ever seen. This one is doing good character stuff. And so I, I like that. But I don't I again, I'm not super impressed with what I feel like is the overall direction of the plot. But I do like I think it's doing very good character stuff. And that's just kind of the secondary thing to me. So my gut was to give this one a seven. But we're not doing sevens and we're not doing decimals. So I'm going to go six on this one. Although splitting the hair would have been an eight, but I just don't think quite it's an eight for me. But I, I do. I like this. I liked this one more than the first issue. Yeah, man, I did too. I'll give this one. I'll give this one an eight. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think you're right. The um, I'm giving it an eight all for the character work. I mean, I don't really even care what the mystery is. I just know it's going to be resolved. <laughs> Django, do you want to take a step on? You want to get a fifth base into this baseball diamond? Yeah, I'm. I'm always got down to go to fifth base. Yeah, hey, you know take me. me to take me to fifth oh, base, Daddyo. We're um fifth base, fifth base. Are we are we talking about the audio book I'm closing in on finishing? Uh, Jeff, what what about you? Are you uh, 
Well, I'm working on that Nirvana? giant Nirvana biography. Whoa. I'm really enjoying Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the newest episode <laughs> of that. Um, I fucking loved. I think the this the this week's episode and the previous week's episode are fucking phenomenal. Um, it's not on paper a book or show I wanted to watch at all. I mm-hmm. I was actually only watching it because it was like the one social gathering I do with non-work people is to watch that show and watching with those people is is my two good friends is fun and I did not love the first three episodes I just sort of watched it because I liked being around my friends but like four and five I think are the ones are so good um in this most recent episode like that cliffhanger of the last week's episode got me literally my first out loud expression was like, I cannot wait for next week's episode. And I, this one is also fantastic. Uh, cliffhanger, not quite as strong, but are the, yeah. are the guys enjoying it as much as you are? Yeah. Yes. Jake like was not watching it. And then between this episode and the last episode has gotten super into it. Also, he loves mm-hmm. Battlestar. So he's uh, really enjoyed watching Battlestar um, in that show. Uh, spoilers. The character Battlestar has some rough stuff happen. Yeah, um, yeah, I've just told Jake that Battlestar, you know, got hurt, but uh, he went to the doctor and then they developed a new space program and he gets to be the first superhero who gets to paddle pilot his own ship, the Galactica. Yeah. And um, some things happen in this episode that obviously seed into the birth of the first Cylon. So Jake is fine now that wow. uh, Battlestar has a future ahead of him. It's a big yeah. old rocket ship. Roman, I can't wait for you to watch. I think you're going to like it. I, I I, am not the demographic for this show, and I'm loving it. Hmm. That's I cool. Think it's, uh, yeah, go ahead, Roman. That, that's, that's what I'm going to do after this episode. I'm going to finish that Sandman comic I haven't finished. I'm going to watch that episode that I should have watched before this. Hmm. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's great that you like it and the whole world seems to like it you know i mean not not everybody everywhere but it seems to be a super popular show and for some reason i it just has not connected with me and I, yeah i've tried I, i'm watching them all i'm gonna watch the last one of course but um i can't even quite put my finger on it um i think i texted you a list of like seven or eight things that i thought maybe it might be but all of that is just like nitpicky bullshit that shouldn't matter if if i didn't already feel ambivalent and jake and i just spend the whole time sitting there going i can't do it he can't do it either but we try to do it what is it god watch a fucking movie god I have no idea what's happening here. You know, when you go to Wakanda, there's that very specific audio sample <laughs> that is used in all of the movies and all of the TV shows. And it's a great audio sample and neither of us can do it, but we're working on it. Do you think maybe the audio sample that they used wasn't people's mouths? But like maybe It can't else. have been a person's mouth. <laughs> I, we have tried for so long. Mouth sounds. Have you thought about doing like uh good night ASMR That's Wakanda a edition? Uh, this well, you're giving episode, this shit away for free, right? Episode now, 222 is a good night edition ASMR style. Hey, <laughs> this is Roman, Justin, and Django. Oh fuck. 
I forgot who I am. I'm not uh, even. I'm not even Justin. Jeffrey. I'm Jeff. I'm and, not Jeff either. Uh, the three of us are going to bid you all adieu. We've had a wonderful time talking about comics. It's been a fantastic time. I have a wonderful time every time. Scratching my beard for you there. And uh, this was episode 222 from Modesto, Ontario, Antaligua. And we have had a fantastic time being with you tonight, talking about the different comics that came into our store. Um, I think looking back on the day's comics, uh, that my favorite was either Spider-Man Shadow or Thor 14. I'm curious as we leave here, each of you boys, what was your favorite comic of the week? I'm still looking. <sighs> Smells like Cappy in here. Mine, Roman, was probably um, Rorschach, though it may be the Sandman, Helen Gone, Lock and Key. Because he hasn't finished reading it yet. You never know. Yes. An own open present always has the most potential. He's, this this is very true. That's 100%, Jeffrey. And Django, mm -hmm. uh, as we get out of here tonight, what was your favorite book of the week? Well, my favorite book of the week was absolutely Rorschach. It was almost a battle between that and the detective, but Rorschach won out. Oh, wait, we have something from Andrew. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, Andrew. That was the perfect ending. <laughs> Andrew, could you uh, record this ASMR style for us? Hey, guys. Hope you're doing well. Um, it's Andrew. Just calling in with a quick question. What I want to know this week is who, what artist would you have draw a caricature of the person to your right? So uh, let's go. I don't know. Django, who would draw the caricature of Jeff the best? Jeff, who would draw the caricature of Roman the best? And Roman... Who would draw the caricature of Django the best? That's my screen uh, layout. Yeah, and kind of a dumb, weird one, but always fun to throw a weird one in there. Uh, have a great week, guys. Um, that's great because my triangle layout has Roman below me, Django above him, and me to the right of Django. So well done, Andrew. You did good. Anybody got a, a right off the bat artist? Instantly. Yeah. Instantly. The name Jim Mafood jumped into my head. Mm. I think he would draw a wonderful Jeff. Yeah, he's so cool. All angles and hats, if you know. What that I mean. would be really cool. We should pay Jim Mafood to do a, a thing of me. Yeah, I think so. I choose for Roman Sergio Argones. No, God, <laughs> that is so perfect. It's yeah, the nose, isn't it's it? The it's nose. the nose that looks like uh, either one Gonzo. of you guys would have been a good Sergio Argones, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Wow, can I get a big old misshapen potato nose? Yeah. Um, <laughs> For Django, I'd like to see what's in my head is a Chris Burnham Django because I want him to God. capture. I want to see how he captures that uh, that Django he, hawk. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good one. And then what if I could choose for somebody to do one of all of us? Um, R.I.P. Steve Dillon. I would love for oh, Steve yeah. Dillon drawings to the three of us would be worth paying for. All of us would have like somehow one too many teeth. And we'd all have like <laughs> three inches more of forehead than we do right now. And it would look like we all just got punched, but like in a good way that was still really recognizable and conveyed emotion. <laughs> um, classic Figly. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us for episode 222, the ASMR episode. We're going to get out of here. Um, I hope that you enjoyed your preponderance of sevens and your lack of decimals as well, except for the Roman sevens. Roman just sevened it all the way home. Thanks for your emails, Andrew. All of you wonderful listeners, Jeff at the Comics Place is the email. Drop an email. 
I guarantee you, whatever you say is better than not saying anything. And probably better than anything we're going to say. Exactly. So you're just actually helping the podcast. If you want to help the podcast, send an email to Jeff at thecomicsplace.com. Yeah, if not, uh, that's cool, too. We'll see you all next week for episode 223, Modesto. Excited about Modesto. Haven't been there. One of my favorite areas of California. Django, Roman, thanks, boys. Thank you, Jeff. Arrivederci. Oh, Django. Yeah, sorry. As signing out as always, I'm Jeff. I'm Roman. I'm Django, but I was wondering. Oh. Are the strings showing here? Is that is that I was wondering, like, if you could have Ain't no strings on me. Any superhero, anyone that is not Marvel or DC in a Batman animated series type animated series. Who would it be? See y'all next week. Fart joke before we go out, or are you gonna just? Yeah, Jane, toss us a fake joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you just farted. That's not even a joke. You just farted.